When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. This week it comes down from Liverpool Echo and from Connor O'Neill, who is a football writer covering Everton. Connor, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. How are you keeping? Very well, very well, thank you. A little bit underwhelmed, I think, we'll get into it by, by all things Everton at the minute, but on the whole, very well. It is a massive game for Everton as well, and I think... The one thing Newcastle United fans are maybe enjoying more than anything this season, and there is a lot to enjoy, so I hope you don't mind me bragging a little bit, but it is the fact that they can look at the teams down the bottom and not be concerned at all, because it's the first time in a long while they've been able to do that. Of course, a, a totally different picture for you guys, for Everton. Just how big of a game is it against Newcastle on Thursday? Uh, I mean, it's absolutely huge. I mean... It feels like obviously we've got our own podcast here at the Echo and with the Royal Blue podcast. We, we, we've been kind of almost tagging every game as you know, a huge game, big game, but this really is a huge and a big game for, for Everton because results haven't been kind in, in recent weeks, both for themselves and, and the opposition. And um, when you look back at you know, obviously they they were beaten by full, which was a real sucker punch, I think, because I think a lot of Everton fans had hoped that they would get three points there and then. You know, potentially be, be, be Palace away or at least get a point or they get a point but you know be content with the four that they would, would take from them two games as it turned out they were you know not just beaten by Fulham but outplayed for large part and they had a 10 minute spell just after they equalised where they, they looked dangerous but apart from that you know certainly second half they were they were truly second best and you know Palace at the weekend it was yeah it was resolutely defended quite well but they didn't really create any opportunities Calvert Lewin had one but it was kind of all a little bit static and a little bit kind of underwhelming. And I think a lot of Everton fans now fear the worst in terms of relegation and dropping off the Premier League. And I think everyone is hoping for some sort of response and some sort of kind of almost a, 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 a game to lift the mood because I think last season Everton were really good when it looked when they looked down in the dumps and when they kind of looked, they looked done, especially when they were beaten away barely. They were good at picking up points when it really mattered to give everyone a boost and give everyone that little bit of hope that they could avoid the drop. I think, you know, you've seen, you know they, beat, they beat Newcastle 1-0, you know, quite spectacularly with 10 men in the 99th minute. But they also, you know, beat Man United at home 1-0, beat Chelsea at home 1-0, went away at Leicester 2, came from behind to beat Crystal Palace. But the results being up to that Palace game were, were almost kind of the, the, the lift everyone at the club needed. I think right now this minute, Everton in need of a massive lift and it's only going to come by a three points because even if Everton you know have an improved performance on Thursday night it's, it's not going to be enough because of all that matters now is points on the board and, and Everton quite seem don't have enough and that's why they find themselves in the relegation zone. So it is a huge, huge game and it's one that quite simply Everton can't afford to be beaten in. They can't afford to lose. I think if they are if they do lose, then a lot of a lot of Everton fans will, will almost come to terms with the prospect of the team the team playing championship football next season. And just reading up on what's happening off the pitch, it looks like there's going to be another protest ahead 
of the game. Fans didn't seem very happy with uh, Bill Kenwright's uh, statement ahead of the, the Palace game. Just how much of a distraction is the off-the-field uh, disunity between the fans and those in the boardroom affecting Everton's fight for survival? Yeah, I mean, one, one, thing, one thing that will change on Thursday is there won't be any protests before the game. Fans have actually decided that they're not going to protest and, and actually welcome the team and, and do everything they can to lift the atmosphere and, and get the... They're basically, you know, they're done to everything on their part they can to make Goodison a fortress kind of cauldron. And I think the, the plan is for supporters to welcome the team and it's be in the seats and, and making plenty of noise at quarter past seven, quarter past seven onwards. And that's the plan is to try and make it a, a real fortress like we've seen Goodison in the past, kind of park all the, the off-field issues and, and the issues that people have with the, the, with the club's boards and the way, and the way things are being but I think on the whole, and certainly in terms of the off the field issues, have kind of gone hand in hand with the 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 home. It's the results on the pitch this season. I think you know you look back to the, the early first start was you know the the, the Brighton game at home and Everton were you know comfortably beaten four one. That was when fans really started to tear on the board, and you know that was the first kind of certainly my first recollection of you know sack the board and now you need change. But that was the first time that come. You know, the Southampton game a couple of weeks later when the board were told not to not to attend on security grounds. You know, I we're beaten two one myself we're beaten two on that day by Southampton in a pretty, you know, what probably should have been Frank the final after Frank Lampard, but he got a, a one week stay of execution before being beaten at West Ham. But yeah, the the whole off the field issues have kind of gone hand in hand with the on field issues in the sense of there's been very, very little to kind of get behind both off the pitch and on the pitch and you know the the the, the the open letter from Bill right on Friday, I think was was bizarre. I think is the best way to describe it. Just you know, for, for chairman to kind of not to communicate with fans because I think people at ballroom level should communicate with fans. I think we've all along been critical of, of people at the top not communicating with supporters and telling them what you know and telling them what, you know what's going on. But it just felt very odd what, what Bill Kenwright done, and you know he's obviously got every right to respond to the letter that was sent to him, but. Just to do it before on the eve of, of a huge game and, and a context left was in it felt very hard and it certainly done nothing to to stop the anger and stop the frustration of the way things have been on Everton. It's certainly not calm things down. Although you know Everton fans will, will park them them thoughts and their feelings on Thursday night ahead of the Newcastle game, they're gonna be they're gonna be around, they're gonna be around, around for a long time to come because a lot of fans are truly not fed up and, and they want change and they, and they think change is needed. Is therefore that the change um, before the game where there might have been protests previously? Do you think that is that a sign of just how desperate it's becoming in Everton that you know actually the fans kind of now look at it and think, well, what what good is shouting and holding banners going to do? It's not going to get us three points, so let's try and show United front and 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 deal with you know the, the disunity with the board at another kind of point in time because Everton are, are in real deep trouble and looking like dropping out of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, the, the way to use their desperate is exactly what Everton are right now. They're desperate. They're desperate for three points. They're desperate to get back home some sort of winning run in, in which that'll see them up the table. Um, and I think, you know, last season, one, one thing that fans did last season was there was a, a lot of anger and a lot of kind of people were confused and a little bit baffled with the way the club was moving and the action was moving. You know, that was all part last season and, and, and kind of all the fans come together and, and we're almost hell bent on you know dragging the club off the line if you know kicking and screaming on its knees if it needs it to do and that's exactly what they've done in the end. I mean, and I don't really take you no know, I don't really care what anyone has to say, you know, 
a large part of why Everton stayed up last season was because of the fans and, and support saying it goes as soon as I think you know the, the Newcastle game was probably the start of it where fans left Goodison that night with that bit of spring and step but then you know you saw the, the coach welcomes for the Chelsea game and the Palace game and you know Leicester away when you know Everton fans went in the thousands and and just basically sung the hearts out for 90 minutes to get the team off the line and I think they are returning to that kind of position now where it's like you know I think they've almost as well watched recent weeks and realised that you know basically this team needs every help <laughs> bit of help it can get because it's not a very good team I mean you know, one, one thing that you know, baffles me a little bit, but I speak to people from, you know, outside of Liverpool and, and people who support different clubs across the parts of the country, they're a bit surprised at the position Everton find themselves in and a little bit kind of like, oh, you know, it'll come good. But when you watch Everton, you know, pretty much every week, like, you know, unfortunate enough to do, but unfortunately for, in, in some people's eyes, uh, you start to see why they're in the position that they are because they're just not good enough. They don't create enough chances and, you know, the the reliance on one man to score goals and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is criminal, if, if I'm being honest. And the fact that the club, you know, despite the owner sitting there and telling the fans in January, you know, they, we need a forward and we'll get a forward. No forwards ever arrived. And, you know, the, the club were almost, you know, left themselves so short. It's, it's untrue in, in attacking sense. So I think fans have, have, have literally weighed all that up and just think, no, no, it's now or never now. You know, it's, it's either things have got to, you know, things have got to happen and they've got to happen now. There's no tomorrow, there's no next week. It could be too late, and I think that's why fans have pines apart their grievances with the the off the running with the club off the pitch and uh, and that type of thing. And they're just going to get right behind the team now for the next six, seven weeks, or whatever it is, but before the season ends, in a bit to try and get the you know, get their side over the line. And I think a lot of fans just want to, you know, if Everton do end up relegated, which you know is a strong possibility, they they want to know that you know well we done all we could and we we played our part and hope it's not happening. It, it might not be enough this time round. Who knows? But yeah, I think I think fans now are just desperate to do their bit and desperate to ensure that you know, no matter what, moving forward, they they say played their part in, in helping the club preserve their Premier League status. Hmm. Because I guess also when you have that disunity, it makes Sean Dyche's job even harder when he comes in. He's not just trying to win games. He's also he's got all the, the kind of the off-field kind of issues to deal with. Whereas if you're Roy Hodgson going into Crystal Palace. You know, everyone, at least from the outside looking in, looks a bit united there from the terraces to the board level, same down at Leicester. Mm. And I guess um, by kind of parking the protests in a way, that will that'll be a huge uh, a huge help to what Daisha's got to do on the pitch as well. Yeah, I mean, I, try, I don't think, in fairness, you know, I think Everton fans have actually played it quite well in terms of they, come, they back the team and made the feelings known before games. You know, the first time they... they the uh, Everton fan properly protested was before the Arsenal game. Sean Dyche's first match in charge when you know thousands lined the streets and, and if I'm being honest, took took you know certainly took me by surprise how many people come out and force in that day to, to voice their opinion and voice their unhappiness. But Everton produced their best performance of the season that day. You know, they beat Arsenal who we were top of the league at the time. They lost once, maybe twice before before that. You know, they were flying high on you know, a real crest of a wave and I thought we're absolutely superb that day. I know people look at it and say, what well, was new manager bounce but you know, even that day, once fans went went through them turnstiles, they were fully focused on rolling the side to victory. You know, they, they have done, you know, it can't be denied that Everton fans have done a really good job in kind of making their feelings known to the board and the way things are being run and the off-the-pitch struggles, but back in the team at the same time. The problem they've had is that they've seen very little and we've seen recent weeks to really get behind the team because, you know, like I say, you know, the, the, the Fulham game, 
I wouldn't say it was a lack of effort, but it just didn't look good enough. And he just never really got a second wind and, and come again. And there's been other times where they just they've looked lethargic at best. And and that's hard as a fan, isn't it, to get behind, you know, Newcastle have had the total opposite this season. What we've seen in you know, previous, you know, them lethargic performances are hard to get behind and, and hard to buy into. So yeah, I think I know I know what you're saying, but I think Everton fans have done a really good job of kind of making their voice heard and, and making the points at the board, but you know, not losing sight of the fact that they, they want to you know, cheer Sean Rice's team on and do all they can to, to ensure that they, their side wins and is ultimately playing Premier League football next season. And how big of an improvement have you seen since Sean Dyche has come in? Because I think it was a really sensible appointment to bring him in. Mm. He's, he's, you know, he's tested in that area of the Premier League of, of what he has to achieve, at least this season. So have you been impressed with what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one in the sense of, I think if he'd have asked me this question a couple of weeks ago, he'd have got more, a lot more glowing rapport of Sean Dyche than probably what you'll get now. I think, you know, his first three games, he got six points, two wins. You know, one of them, de- the defeat in the derby was, was probably quite nip and tuck, you know, in the sense of small margins. You know, James Tarkovsky hits the post and we're in 38 seconds. I think it was Mohamed Salah puts Liverpool on the look. And then obviously, you know, Conor Cody makes a, a terrible error at the back post, but he lets the ball run and, and doesn't realise that Cody got post there to tap in. So, you know, but then they, they, they then found a way a week later to beat Leeds at home and what was, you know, the massive six-pointer. They obviously ground out a win against Brentford, you know, battle well at, at Forest. And you, you kind of thought, well, you know, you can see signs here that this team's maybe, you know, adapting and learning a way to play. But I just think, you know, in recent weeks, the, the performances have tailed off a little bit. I think, you know, the, the Tottenham game performance wasn't great. And, you know, in the end, a point was a good point because they were just the 10 men with the core they were sent off. But then, you know, they went to Man United. And, you know, for the love of me, I don't still don't understand this day, you know, Dice changed formation and played went 4-4-2 and almost you know, played this high line and tried to see we get at United and it, it spectacularly backfired. You know, then a week later he played Fulham and he perceived with 4-4-2 and it wasn't working and then we getting overrun and you know they found themselves a goal down and went to 4-5-1, got themselves back in the game, but then second half they were just so flat and so lethargic and you know there was just no spark there. And, you know, on Saturday Palace, like I alluded to earlier. They were resolute and they battled hard, but didn't really create any clear cut chances. I mean, you know, the best chance, the best chance of the game probably in, in general falls away to Calvert Newman, but that was a goal of a chance of all his own making in terms of you know spawning and kind of got a shot off on goal, but couldn't quite get on target. But I think performances have, have not derailed as such, but have certainly stuck, you know, started to slow down and the progression that we perhaps thought we were going to see quite early on with Sean Dyche has dried up and I think also he, he's realised the harsh reality of managing Everton in the sense of the last couple of weeks, you know, the core has been suspended, James Cole's been out injured, O'Nara's been out injured, obviously Calvert Lewin didn't feature until Saturday before, until, you know, the Arsenal game. And I think he's learned the harsh reality that despite Everton having a big spot on paper, it's not a squad blessed with talent, it's not a squad blessed with ability. And I think he's realised very quickly that he's essentially relying on a, a strong 11, but he hasn't been able to get that strong 11 out enough. In recent weeks, and results show, results reflect that ultimately. And, and not a squad built on goals either. I mean, I think it's six mm-hmm. goals that Demar Gray's got. He's, he's top squad. I think Anthony Gordon's still third in that list, which yeah. shows you probably where the real issue lies in terms of you know it's no secret you need goals to win your games, and Everton just don't seem to be able to 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 put the ball in the back of the net. No, and, and like I know I alluded to earlier, you know it was it was criminal. 
that in January they never brought some sort of forward in. You know, they recalled Ellis Sims from Sunderland, which at the time people were a little bit baffled by, but it was kind of painted as well. We're going to bring someone else in, and then that we dump someone else and Ellis Sims, and people kind of thought, well, okay, you know, three forwards, you know, alongside Neil Mopeg, you know, a bit of versatility, you know, you know, in the end they signed, kind of brought no one back. Calvert Loon played an hour against Arsenal and then was, was against sidelines for, for six weeks, which he has beaten up for the last 18 months, kind of on the sidelines. And also, you know, El Sims, you go to Old Trafford and El Sims is leading the line. You go to Anfield, El Sims is leading the line. And you're thinking, no, this is a lad who ultimately should still be playing at Sunderland. <laughs> he shouldn't even be, you know, shouldn't even be back at the football club. He should still be on long development areas all of a sudden, you know tasked with leading the line for Everton and, and, and keeping them in the Premier League, essentially. So, yeah, I mean, the lack of goals is just... It's hard, you know, it's, it's very easy sometimes just to look at one issue and make a lot of it. But, yeah, Everton's, you know, lack of goals and their lack of creativity is just clear for all to see. And, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin played 90 minutes on... Come off in stoppage time. He did play 90 minutes on Saturday. And, you know, Sean Dyson afterwards, he, he didn't feel anything when he come through larger than scales, and that was a big boost. But... I think the worry for Everton on Saturday is, you know, although they're a better team with Dominic Calvert-Lewin leading the line, it doesn't look like it might be enough to give them in the Premier League because they still need more. They still need some sort of creativity. They still need to be able to carve out openings. And they haven't shown that. But, yeah, the whole kind of recruitment around forwards has just been, you know, baffling from the start. Even if you go back to the summer when, you know, they, they went big and got Neil Mopay and no one really truly understood why they went for Neil Mopay. I think a lot of people... You know, saying to himself, watch Brighton, thought Brighton were great underground pass, and they had some you know, great defenders and great midfielders. But the worry that they really struggled in was the final third. And you know, if they only had, they had a clinical centre forward, they'd put in the top four or pushing the top four, and that was what was missing. And yet, you know, the one part Everton took from Brighton was the final, the forward who played in the final third, who had shown to Everton they was nowhere near prolific where Everton needed a prolific goal scorer. So, yeah, the, the the, the recruitment side of things certainly going forward has, has left a lot of people scratching their heads and, and is ultimately one of the reasons why the, the club find themselves in the position that they are right now. Yeah, I have to say it baffled me when I when I read that story that uh, Mopey was joining joining Everton. And you mentioned their recruitment. I think if Newcastle United's board and, and, and those that look after transfers to St James Park, you know, want to look at a club and you know, we get some lessons from a club on how not to spend a boatload of money. I think you could probably look at Everton and uh, conclude that, uh, yeah, they've done it wrong and that's not a path to follow because you mentioned that they've got a big squad, but, you know, they're lacking a, a striker um, and the squad in, as general, in general is not a very good squad. But yet they've spent a, a ton of money. How has it gone so drastically wrong that Everton find themselves in serious danger of dropping out of the Premier League? I think ultimately, you know, they Everton are the, the perfect case to how not to be a Premier League football club, <laughs> if I'm being brutally honest. <laughs> I think, you know, and that's uh, we'll probably talk about Newcastle in a, in a little bit, but that's where, you know, I think a lot of Everton fans envy Newcastle a little bit because they seemingly got it right. You know, they've they, they brought players and they've made an impact and the money's been spent seemingly quite wisely. But yeah, I think going back to Everton, they're a case study on how not to, how not to do things, you know. I think it all comes from the very top and, and a, a real lack of, lack of direction from the, from the offset. Really, you know, they Everton, you know, pointed more Kuman, and, and it was kind of like you know he's, he's this high profile figure who you know put, put it on the map. And, and at a time when you know I think Mourinho was, was at United, Pep was just going to City. 
yeah, and Klopp was at Liverpool and Kevin felt like they needed their own high profile name to to come in and, and be amongst that and you know, they were going to get a high world class profile manager, but they could get a high world class former player, and that was Ronald Koeman. And obviously, you know, Steve Walsh then comes in as director of football. But I think what we quickly realised was that Steve Walsh is very much the, just the chief scout, and he's not a kind of director of football type figure who does negotiations and stuff like that. You know, they then spend hundreds of millions of pounds on three number tens and Wayne Rooney, Gilfie Sigurdsson, David Klassen. You heard the stories of, you know, well, you know, X person at the club wanted him or Y person at the club wanted him. And, you know, there was no one seeing any kind of raining things in and saying, no, 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 let's be a nice team and get one. So that was the kind of start of it. Then obviously, you know, it doesn't quite work out when you spend all that money. So then you, you start spending to play catch up in the hope that, you know, one or two more shrewd signings and things can quickly turn around its head. That doesn't happen, you know. Steve Walsh, Ronald Koeman eventually go. Everton are forced to bring in Sam Allardyce because they're in a bit of a tricky situation and the, the threat of elevation looms large. Sam comes in, does an okay job, gets them comfortably to mid table. Mark, he's then replaced by Marco Silva because the owner in Farhad Mashiri had long admired Marco Silva, he wanted to get him when he first sat Ronald Koeman from Watford but couldn't, um, but eventually lands him. Marco Silva comes in. Marcel Brands is then appointed back to football. You know, Marcel Brands comes in with this kind of real kind of glistening CV in terms of, you know, developing players, developing academy, you know, real kind of football strategy, you know, strategy man. You know, very quickly, I think it's quite clear that Silver and, and, and Brands weren't perhaps on the same page in terms of what they both wanted to recruit on I think they both maybe had to compromise a little bit. Then all of a sudden you end up with the sense of someone like, Silver Leaven, Carl Ancelotti comes in, high profile name, high profile figure. You know, all of a sudden that the, the, the young talent who people want to see Marcel Brands bring in is you know replaced by players like Decore, James Rodriguez, and Alan, who are kind of coming into that instant hit success because Carlo was probably not going to be around forever. You know, Carlo goes to Real Madrid and in comes Rafa Benitez, who you know the only person who wanted Rafa Benitez was Farhad Mashiri. You know, Marcel Brands didn't want him, Bill Kenwright didn't want him, these bad backs and sales didn't want him. So all of a sudden, you, you've got a manager who does that, the footballer doesn't want, the chairman doesn't want. And then, you know, there's no surprise that, again, you know, by that point, Everton have outspent themselves, need to rein themselves back in. They basically rely on a bit of wheeling and dealing, and, you know, Benitez brings in Townsend and Rondon on free transfers and Demari Gray for 1.7 million. Um, and that's not enough, you know, for the team that's. Was struggling and, and, and kind of, you know, already going backwards a little bit. You know, that's that's not enough. And then obviously, you know, Everton now find themselves in a position to do where Kevin Felwell, you know, is is alongside Sean Dyche. And you know, you get to January and you know, Everton ends up putting Sean Dyche so late that they sent people lots of time to bring anyone in. And there's just a real lack of direction at the, at the football club, and I don't think anyone really knows what what they're aiming for, what they're trying to achieve. I think, like I say, I think you no. Know, Marcel Brand one had this clear idea of kind of maybe being a, a football, you know, bring players in young, develop them, and then if that means we sell them on, we sell them on. But you know, a bit of a Brighton now in the sense of bring these players in for a couple of years, sell them on for high figures, and then make sure we've got a constant turnover of, of productivity. And that was lost when you know, obviously, no Everton fan complained when Carlo and Chelsea was was given the job, but Carlo very much come in and wanted to hit the ground running and wanted players who could come in and hit the ground running because. You know his, his age, and he knew he probably wasn't going to be around forever. Didn't want to be the long project that bringing people like younger players in would, would have. 
And, it, you know, from then on, it's just kind of spiral spar- out of control, really. And that's why Everton will find themselves now. It's an uncontrollable position because, you know, they can't, you know, they, they're basically having to sell the best player every year. It's bounced the books. You know, you look at Richarlison went last year. Anthony Gordon went in January. That obviously reflecting kind of this year's accounts. So it's just a real lack of direction at the top. No one really knows what's going on. And, and then obviously where the story's got you know, the owner maybe interfering a little bit and kind of having too much to say or too much sway. And it's just a real kind of dysfunctional place, I think, right now, this minute, that's lacking leadership and lacking direction. And, and ultimately that now shows because, like I say, you know, Everton a team and a club that, that is, is lacking direction. Thank you very much for listening to the episode so far, Andrew Muscovy. I just want to point you guys in the direction of a live event that we're holding on May the 25th. That's a Thursday night. We'll be at the Tyneside Irish Centre myself and Newcastle United writer Kieran Kelly and Newcastle United editor Aaron Stokes and our chief Newcastle United writer Lee Ryder. The Daily Mirror Simon Bird will also be on the panel. But to kick things off, we'll have a club legend with us. Arguably one of the best crossers of the ball ever to play in black and white. Alan Shearer is a massive fan of this man. It is Norberto Solano. This is your opportunity to come and meet a Newcastle United legend and talk about all things Newcastle United with our panel. Hopefully, by that time, Newcastle will have secured top four football, so there's going to be plenty to talk about. The brilliant season so far, what's to come in the summer transfer window, and then those nights on the continent, hopefully against Barcelona or an Inter Milan. It's going to be a great night. To secure your ticket, hit that link in the description to this episode, and head over to eventbrite.com. And uh, yeah, we'd love to see you. We can't wait to see you. It's going to be a great evening, raising really important funds as well for the Newcastle United fans food bank. So hit that link, secure your ticket, and we look forward to seeing you on May the 25th. It sounds like an absolute nightmare. And from a Newcastle point of view, it, it kind of makes you all the more appreciative of, of the way that the new owners have taken the club in the direction they have done with Dan Ashworth coming in. He's you know, he knows Eddie Howe, so that's all that's worked quite nicely. And they've just appointed the right people in the right places, and everyone is is on the same page in terms of you know transfers, uh, commercial wise. It just seems to be working really well at the moment at Newcastle, um, not so much at Everton. Um, you mentioned there the formations that Sean Dyche has been playing of late. How are you expecting Everton to, to set up on Thursday, and how will they approach Newcastle? I think. It, it's it's a real tough one because when Sean Dyche came in, there was a, a large expectation that he was perhaps going to play four four two, be very much like he was with Burnley. But when he came in, that was quickly forgotten, and he, he became a bit of a four five one man and packed the midfield and and was you know kind of looked to get legs legs in the field more than anything. And he abandoned that strangely, weirdly at Old Trafford and went four four two. Like I say, you know, probably the, the the lack of pace and hell. Probably, you know, trans you know, one of the reasons behind that. But he went four four two, didn't really wear Everton, you know, second best. And although beaten two 0 they could have been beaten ten 0 at Old Trafford. You know, first half it was the Jordan Pickford shot. He made up four or five great saves and, and kept the score at one nil. Um, he then stuck by four four two a week later at Fulham, at home to Fulham. Again, it didn't work, and he, he you know, he was. You know, he switched to four five one after about half an hour, and Everton was a better team for for that change. He played four five one on Saturday at Crystal Palace, and I, and I, I expect, and I, and I think most fans will hope that he will play four five one. I think the big questions are around Amadou Onana and Dominic Calvert Lewin. I think you know the core 
I suspect we'll come straight back in after the suspension because he'd be massively missed in recent weeks. And you know, if they can get Don back out, he'll, I expect he'll lead the line. And if Amadou Onana's back fit, he'll also be kind of thrown straight back in because they've missed his energy and his ability to get around the pitch. So I think fans will hope that Sean Dyche sticks with his 4 5 1 on the trunk and get results from this season and, and not go back to a 4 4 2. But one thing we've learned this season is you know, expect the unexpected. And if, he wants to play 4 4 2. I don't think anyone will be surprised, but I think a few will be certainly disappointed. And how do you think they'll uh, handle Newcastle? Will they sit back and invite Newcastle on, or will Everton try and have most of the ball and and, and you know just try and absorb Newcastle when uh, Newcastle hit on the counter? I don't think Everton will try and have a lot of the ball simply because they're not a very good team at keeping the ball. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's to be a bit, a bit brutal, but I don't think they're not very, not very possession based, Everton. I think. It'll be more the, the looks of maybe up to you know suck up the Newcastle pressure and, and try and hit them on the break and, and perhaps play off Calvert Lewin if he does lead the line as a focal point of make the pitch that way. Similar to what they only against Arsenal actually in Dyche's first game where they kind of sat deep, defended as a kind of back four line and just hit Calvert Lewin when they couldn't and worked up the pitch in that sense. So yeah, I, I don't see Everton going out there to, to try and dominate the ball and dominate possession. I think they'll be very much kind of looking to let Newcastle have the ball, soak up, soak up the pressure and then try and hit Calvert-Lewin and break him throughout the pitch. And do you look at Newcastle's result against Spurs and, and, and worry slightly for Everton? I know Tottenham were dreadful, but for all Tottenham were that bad, Newcastle were that good. Do you think that would have uh, put a bit of fear into the, the Everton dressing room? I think it would have put a bit of fear in the Everton dressing room. For me, I don't, I don't think it did because I long thought Newcastle were a very good team. I think you know I think the strides they've made this season under Eddie Howe have been really, really impressive. I think they've got the recruitments you know, spot on. Players like Bruno and you know uh, Isaac is it that like the centre forward is seemingly going to his own in recent weeks as well. And looks a handful of John Linton, I think I've always raised John Linton, I think he's a good player. Same with Dan Baird. I think you no, know, he's another good Premier League player who kind of does the job. So yeah, I mean I've always personally I've always been impressed with, I've been impressed with Newcastle a large part of this season. You know, Eddie Howe's done a a really good job because I think you know the verdict the joy was ultimately how wasn't essentially he was someone who's long been linked with the Everton role in the, in the passion obviously talk about all their managers there who, who, who've been in you know in, in Jordan Farr I'm sure he's tenure as expect pretty much at least 90% of the time Eddie Howe's been in the running when one of the managers has been appointed and I think there's been question marks over I don't know how good the manager is but I think he's proved to silence a lot of them critics this season whether whether Newcastle gets off four or not I think he's done a really really good job so for me, I don't, you know, I don't think it, I was in Newcastle a good side and wary of the threat that Newcastle posed. But I think if you was an Everton player watching that Newcastle performance on Saturday, you'd be a little bit wary. And I think, I think as well, I think that performance and, and win maybe took the wind out of a few Everton sales, certainly from a support, supporters' perspective, because I think a few perhaps would have earmarked Newcastle. Well, for a fact, something, some are more convinced that Everton beat Newcastle than they will Crystal Palace away. Just because you know, seemingly when with fans in attendance, Everton kind of always beat Newcastle good to some have had a good a good record against them in the past and stuff. So, yeah, I think there was a belief that that could be the kind of the not the easy of the two, but the the one that Everton would get points from. But I believe how we you know they swept them apart and, and torn Newcastle to shreds will have instilled a little bit of fear, I think, into the into the blue. You know, certainly. Not just Everton's dressing room, but certainly a number of supporters as well, because they were very, very impressive. You mentioned there, Isaac. Uh, he's there, uh, I think it's seven in the last seven. 
who's going to be the man tasked with keeping him quiet? Who's going to be? Who's going to have that that lovely challenge on their hands? I suspect it'll be James Tarkovsky and Michael Keane. They've kind of been Sean Dyche's real go-to centre-back pairing um, in recent weeks. Initially, um, it was Connor Codine and James Tarkovsky when Sean Dyche come in. And then um, Cody had a real kind of game to forget at home to Aston Villa where he was easily kind of spun for the second goal and he looked a little bit off the pace and he was replaced for the next game, the, the trip to Arsenal. Michael Keane, who's retained his place ever since. So I suspect uh, that it'll be Michael Keane and James Tarkovsky who line up at the heart of Everton's defence once again. Been interesting uh, battle that. In terms of Everton, obviously we're painting quite a, a bleak picture here. But if you uh, were going to warn Eddie Howe of one player to keep a, a real eye on, who would it be? <sighs> I think if outside of Corey is back fit, I think he's a massive kind of boost for Everton. Just for his sheer energy levels, in terms of you know he gets around the pitch, he, he in in some of the early games under Sean Dyche when we were playing four five one, he was the kind of man tasked with leading leading up with the forwards when the forward we were playing as more of a, a number ten type role because of his energy and his ability to get up and down the pitch. So he I think is is the one who, who I think could have an impact on the game. Um, I suspect he will he will come straight back in after suspension because Everton just took a better team with him in the, in, in the middle of the field. So yeah, I think. Outside of Corey is probably one. Obviously, the other one is you know, Dominic Calvert Lewin if he starts, just because you know he's he's Everton's goal threat. You know he's he's the only hope they've got of basically scoring goals. And you know whether I know people the jury stars on on Calvert Lewin, but he is you know Everton's best number nine. He is a goal threat, and you know he does he has got the ability to score in the Premier League like we've all seen in, in recent time. Yeah, he's been linked to Newcastle several uh, times in the past. Always split a bit of an opinion on social media. And um, one man though who did move from Everton to Newcastle was Anthony Gordon. I don't think he'll start on Thursday simply because Eddie Howe just doesn't change a winning mm-hmm. side. Um, what kind of reception will he get when he is warming up on the touchline? Not a very good one, I don't think. I think there's a lot of Everton fans who've not forgotten how he left Everton. And what he done in the kind of build up to his departure, and the way he conducted himself certainly didn't go down well with those on the blue half of Merseyside, and the comments he's made since leaving certainly haven't gone down well. Um, yeah, I think he's in for a incredible hostile reception. I think it's safe to say. I think it'll be similar to what we see when Rooney come back with Man United, back with Chelsea, right up there with the kind of you know we've not forgotten what you've done and. You know, you'll never be forgiven, and you know, you'll always kind of be the one who we're most disappointed by. So, yeah, I think he's in for a, an incredible, hostile uh, reception from, from Blue supporters. When he signed, you know, it wasn't 100% universally kind of accepted by new Cast United fans. You know, that kind of everyone was like, hey, that's Eddie Howe's decision, we'll back him. But in terms of the player himself, ability, uh, character, can you see why Newcastle have gone out and spent all this money on Anthony Gordon? Will he, in your opinion, did you see enough during his time at Everton that he can become a, a, a you know a cornerstone of this Newcastle United squad, hopefully fighting for titles, Champions League football, and and, and what have you? Yeah, I mean, I must admit, I used to get a, a tag at the echo from one of my former colleagues for saying I was the chairman of the Anthony, Anthony Gordon Supporters Club at one point because I did um, kind of believe that he was he can be a really good player i used to cover it before 
we'll cover it full time. Take away to cover Everton under 18s on a Saturday morning, and he was in one. He was in one of the, the first teams I, I watched. So I've watched him since he was like 15, 16 years of age, and he's always been, you know, in my eyes, he's always been a real talent and someone who's got a lot of ability and a lot of, you know, the ability to go on to that next level. Um, I think the surprise when he went to Newcastle when he did was that there was a feeling that his career was just teething off a little bit and it didn't look like he had it in him to go that next step and that next make that next jump. I think when you think of him you know, last season, he was instrumental in, in helping Everton stay up. He put in a, a string of really, really good performances on a number of occasions. And it can't that can't be forgotten. You know, it, a lot of Everton fans are won't, won't have forgotten it, but you know, believe his actions in the in the, this year will, will always override that. And, and rightly so because the way he conducted himself I don't think was was, was professional and maybe in time to come he'll look back and think he should have done things a little bit differently. But I, I was really impressed from last season. Wasn't surprised to see him into Chelsea. I think Newcastle linked him as well in the summer. They were suggesting that, that they were interested then. And obviously, you know, it didn't quite work out in the end. I think he stuck he stayed at Everton, you know, Everton were quite, you know, dug their heels in him and defined not to let him go. Obviously he starts the season off really well. He got two goals in the opening three games. Then two goals come and he was leading the line. He, you know, he's having he was having set to fall to start the season, which people forget, you know, he was the man tasked with filling in Dominic Calvert-Noon's absence. And he looked like he was maturing a little bit. You know, he was starting to look like, like more of a finished article in terms of his finishing, because that's always been one thing that, you know, he, he did have room from boot almost finish, finishing. He, he wasn't a kind of prolific attacker who could take chances. He kind of needed maybe three or four. And his goal, his goal return ratio wasn't great, but at the start of this season, it looked like he was kind of, something he'd worked on and he was you know, reaping the benefits of that. Then obviously the, the transfer window shut, the summer transfer window shut, and he was not the same player. Afterwards, that you know, I don't know whether he kind of got into his head that he would move and he would be moving and he'd be going to a Champions League club, and that didn't quite come off, and he kind of never got over that. But yeah, he was just never the same player after the, the transfer window shut, and his performances really did derail to, to the point of where you know, towards the end of Frank Lampard's tenure, he was you know substituted and he come on for the last couple of last twenty minutes against Southampton, a goal to someone new beaten. 2-1, I think his only contribution that day was to give a free kick away in which James Ward probably scored the winning goal from. Um, he was just looked like he didn't want to be there, if I'm being honest. It looked like he was a million one place he'd rather be than, than, than there. And that was where the, the start, I think, with supporters kind of, the, the start of the relationship turned a little bit sour, started to, to fr- come to the fore because supporters were watching something that don't think he really wants to be here. He hasn't been great for a while, you know. And then obviously, you know, the speculation started that he was off to Newcastle and, you know, there was the, I know he's, he's disputed this, but, you know, the, the, he never turned up for training and he was trying to push through everything he could to push through a, a move. There was, you know, rumours about how he conducted himself in the build-up to the game at West Ham, which actually ended up being Frank Lampard's last in charge. So, yeah, I think in terms of his career on, on a trajectory, it's certainly gone backwards a little bit, I would say. And I watched him recently for Newcastle and I don't think he's kind of, Got his confidence back at that he still kind of looked. I watched his Man City, wasn't he? He didn't look anywhere near the kind of the player that I thought he was going to go on to be. I still think he could go on to be that player. I still think there's enough time left for him to go on to, that, to be that player. I think he's got the ability to. I think it's whether he wants to work hard and knuckle down and really put as much effort as he can. But I think the thing for him at the minute is he's got to look at himself and, and realise that he's at no better club to matches ambition so he wants to play Champions League football he wants to be challenging for trophies and while you know he seemed accepted that was going to Everton 
there's a very real possibility he could do that at Newcastle. There's no reason why he can't do that at Newcastle. So he's got to realise, I think, as well, that you know, if he was to not work out at Newcastle, he would struggle to get back in that bracket of the club, challenging for trophies and being in the top four because you couldn't see, you know, if it's work out at Newcastle, him going to like to Liverpool, Man United, Manchester City, you can't see how any of them would take a, a take a punt on him. So I think a lot of it's down to him. He's certainly got the ability to take that next step, I think. Um, but I think he's a long way off taking that step at the minute. And I can see why Newcastle fans are still kind of, the jury's still out on him in terms of how much he's actually going to offer moving forward. You mentioned their confidence. Is he a confidence player? I mean, what, what do you think the secret is to helping him get to that next level? Does he need an arm around the shoulder from Eddie Howe and, you know, drilled into him, you are this fantastic player, you know, and just kind of talk him up? I mean, what do you think the secret is? I think that would help. I think I think he is a bit of a confidence player. I think if he feels love and he feels a bit of affection, he, he, he you know, certainly produces and he certainly does well. I also think, though, in terms of, for him himself personally, it's consistency. He needs to consistently perform on a weekly basis. I think he's so often now, certainly since you know September, October, he might have one good game one week and then two bad or one one good and one average. It's to get to that next bracket and be in that picture where he wants to put himself. He needs to be probably having two great games for every one, one bad that you have or one average that you, one average that you have. So I think for him, he does need love and affection. I think he needs to feel wanted. He needs to feel kind of like, you know. He's got a position in the team, he, you know, he, it's kind of, you know, it's his to lose. But I also think he needs, for himself personally, he needs to, you know, in, in some way, get some consistency into his game. Because I think you say, it's like I say, since September time, you know, he might have one good game, but then you'll probably count on the next hand how many bad or average games he has. And that's where I think he needs to improve moving forward, because that's where ultimately these, you know, the best players shine. Because at the end of the day, if you can, consistently perform at the top level, you know, you consistently be regarded as one of the better players. He doesn't do that at the minute. And until he does do that, then I don't think he, he would be anywhere near the bracket what people he wants to put himself in. Well, if the football headline gods are in Newcastle's favour on Thursday, you might well score the winning goal. Um, well, that, that, is, that has been said by quite a few people from the blue half of Merseyside already. I think there's a few who think he's going to come back to haunt his old side on, on Thursday night. But I'm sure the red and white of Sunderland have also been praying to the headline gods and uh, hoping that maybe Sims can grab the winner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course. There'll be lots of prayers going in from various uh, colours of football teams. Um, all that remains to be done, Connor, is to is to ask how you think third is going to go. Who's going to get all three points, if, if anybody? Well, I think ultimately Everton have got to get all three points. In that if they, I think, you know, I, I think the weekend results... Newcastle obviously need to get three points to keep the, the make sure that they're in in control of top four themselves. Um, but I think after the weekend now, Everton certainly need them more than Newcastle do. And I think Newcastle can still quite comfortably, you know, finish in the top four if they are beating the Goodison Park on Thursday night. I think they put a real good kind of layer between themselves and the rest. Certainly after beating Tottenham and, and knocking, seemingly clipping wings, Spurs' wings the way they did. So I think Everton need to get three points, and I think anything other than Everton win leaves these blue supporters feeling the worst. But so yeah, I'm gonna to have to have to go for an Everton win. I think it might maybe maybe a one 0 again, like we saw last year. I think maybe just just the Blues just edging it. I was saying on our match preview podcast that the old Newcastle fan in me, the old reporter in me, would have this down as a 
Newcastle slip up because that's mm. just what Newcastle used to do. But I think we're hopefully uh, past the stage of that now. I'm going to back Newcastle to win. I think it'll be a, a much closer game than it was on Sunday, to say the least. And I think, in terms of the mentality, sorry, on that old Newcastle fan, how big is that jump has that been? Because obviously one of the, the things with Everton is that back of the mind, a lot of Everton fans have this like back of the mind, something's going to crop up the football got to go against us, we'll slip up there, you can see what's going to happen here. How big of a change has that been this season? Because obviously Newcastle are pretty much flying high and have, and have kind of overcome a lot of the hurdles that I suspect you all thought yeah. were in front of them. I think the shift's been huge in your Newcastle United fans quite rightly, I think, after 14 years of mismanagement under Michael Ashley, always felt something bad was going to come round the corner. You know, like I say, I think many would have assumed this game against Everton would be a bit of a banana peel and Newcastle would would just step right on it and slip right over. But I just think the confidence that the, the, the squad are playing with, everyone together from the pitch to the boardroom to the fan base, Newcastle United are in such a good place that you do go into every game full of confidence and you know you're not going to win every game we saw that against Aston Villa but that was just a bad day at the office thankfully there haven't been too many days like that this season at all and Eddie Howe has just built a team that is unified is fit they've got so much stamina even in the last five minutes against Spurs they were still outpacing Tottenham which is crazy when you think about they were 6-1 up and still outrunning the opposition and everything's just in Newcastle United's favour so you know there's there's because I think when you do have that mentality of, oh, this is going to go badly, you know, and this is, you're talking about a, a game two, three days before it's even kicked off, that doesn't help. That doesn't help at all because I think that does sometimes sneak into the dressing room as well. You know, the players aren't, um, you know, aren't naive to the fact of how a fan base is feeling on social media, you know, in the city. And I think the fact Newcastle fans are just confident that boosts Newcastle United even more the players, the, the coaching staff, and that'll help them in their preparation for for Thursday. And yeah, you know, like I say, you asked me last season, the season before, would Newcastle uh, get beat here at Everton or, you know, be under threat at a, at, a, at a poor performance despite winning the previous game so comfortably? I would have said yes. Yes, because you always fear the worst uh, as a Newcastle United fan. But things have changed. Things are looking good. Eddie Howe is working his magic. Uh, there's no fear for me. You just have to hope. Well, all Newcastle have to do, in my opinion, is just match the fight that Everton, I think, will bring to this game. And if they do that, they will get three points. And I think they will get three points and, and boost their their campaign for, for, for European football, for Champions League football, which is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And, um, yeah, it's great to have Newcastle United on the back pages for positive reasons. And not negative reasons that we always seem to have under under Mike Ashley. So it's yeah, just just it's a great time to be covering Newcastle and supporting Newcastle. Um, Connor, thank you very much for popping on to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat to you and get the insight into Everton ahead of Thursday. To you guys listening, please hit that follow button on your podcast provider and leave us a rating and review. And pop over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. Mm-hmm.